0: When a ransomware attack shut down the Colonial Pipeline last May, it became an important test case for a new way of thinking about risk by the Department of Homeland Security. The new thinking is based on so-called national critical functions. It aims to make sense of the interdependencies among sectors, like pipelines and other surface transportation. For more, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday spoke with Bob Kolaski, director of the National Risk Management Center. The framework is ultimately the approach we use to think about how we analyze and prioritize issues to address risk to the nation's critical infrastructure. And if you think of what a national critical function is, something like our ability to conduct elections or to operate the core communications networks or to generate electricity, these are the core things that the nation relies on that our critical infrastructure produces, that our communities rely on, that, that our citizens rely on. And ultimately our job in the National Works Management Center as part of CISA is to promote the ability to manage the risk to the functioning of those critical functions. But I would add on two different important elements that are related to security. One is to make sure that those functions function safely, and I think increasingly also with integrity and and that the American people are confident that they're functioning with integrity. And and so what we're doing with the National Critical Functions framework is we're setting up the outcome we're trying to manage risk against so that we can understand and better do the, the sort of science, if you will, about understanding where there are threats and vulnerabilities against those outcomes to prioritize where we take steps to, to mitigate risks in partnership with the critical infrastructure community.
1: So this has been one of the big projects of the National Risk Management Center since it was established uh, in 2018. What was the progress you guys made over the past year? You just had a big report come out. What, what did you do in 2021 to drive this issue forward? A
0: lot of the progress in 2021 was in better breaking down our understanding of of the functions, better clarifying how they come together across the 55 functions, starting to track some key dependencies and interdependencies, look at the idea of subfunctions and the entities that contribute to how the functions come together so, so that we have a richer actual core understanding of the risk. Other things, of course, that that we did in in 2021 are a little more publicly understandable, which is to use critical functions to better understand potential failure points around incidents that were happening, particularly this year. There were a number of significant ransomware incidents impacting critical infrastructure, and we were able to use the critical functions framework to get a better sense of understanding the potential impacts and needs for mitigation from critical infrastructure being attacked with ransomware.
1: So, th- this was actually put into play in 2021. It's not just developing the framework, you've actually started implementing it with things like, as you're referencing Colonial Pipeline and, and incidents like that.
0: Yeah. With Colonial Pipeline, for example, and and as we all now know, right, the Colonial Pipeline was a ransomware attack on the company's IT system that caused impact on its operations based on decisions that that the company made to operate the pipeline. And what you saw as a country is if a major pipeline like that is shut down for hours to days to potentially longer, luckily it was not longer than days, you know, it didn't go into weeks, you start to see cascading impacts to the real world, right? And the major cascading impact from the colonial pipeline was the inability to move fuel and and transport fuel and some gas shortages that that were exacerbated by different fuel buying patterns by, by consumers. That's how it ultimately played out. But there were a bunch of other things that could have happened if the incident had gone differently. We were starting to have concerns about transportation shortages. So we were mapping where there were airports that might have potential shortages. What was flying into those airports? Did any of those airports have linkages to national security, delivery of key goods, other transportation hubs? And we were working with the interagency and industry partners to forward anticipate where some of the shortages could be happening using the critical functions approach and think about ways that we could surge additional availability or think about alternative paths or reduce regulatory burdens and things like that. And that kind of decision-making was happening in real time based on, on this kind of critical functions thinking.
1: What did you learn about the framework and putting it into action? And would you change anything after that experience?
0: A lot of what we've learned as we continue to do this and, you know, in another place where we the framework in action has been during the pandemic at various stages, particularly in 2020, and and then some of the surges around concerns about disease that were causing shutdowns of infrastructure operations or maybe workforce things. What, What we continually learn is the framework makes sense, but it's best designed by having access to best available data as close to real time as possible. And so, you know, as you're going out and and thinking about what could be the functional impact of an incident happening, of people not being able to work or a pipeline not working or things like that, you're trying to get real time information into, is that impact playing out and building risk indicators. And this is what connects to the sort of science of of the functional decomposition, is a lot of that information can be collected toward real time you know, can be better processed and we're getting better at at the risk data we will have to understand if we're trending toward worst case scenarios. Doing that in the middle of a incident where you actually get to test whether an infrastructure system is resilient or not, or it's functioning or not, is a very effective way to then build out the longer term risk models, because I'd rather be measuring the functional health of a, a system on a blue sky day and tracking whether something is becoming a risk.
1: Do you need the private sector to come to the table in most cases to access that data? Or do you have other ways to access real time data that you're finding?
0: I would separate a couple of different types of data. One, there is sort of the data underlying on how a piece of infrastructure operates. Let's go simple, right? Are the lights on? That's observable. That's a sign that a critical function is working, right? The lights are on. And so, you know, looking for sources of data to check in real time, is infrastructure functioning as it is? Our experience has been a lot of that is, publicly available information. I mean, obviously, it's no secret whether the lights are on. And, you know, working with industry to to get to sources that that might be proprietary as you get to a little more complicated question than are the lights on is useful. but, But it's related to infrastructure operations. There are plenty of issues you need to work through to get and understand that. But generally, infrastructure operations is a proxy for system health, and I'm generally confident that we can get a lot of that information just working through that process. then there's information which you know becomes i think a little more important to work through information sharing mechanisms, which is information about how an organization operates to get to that point are there potential incidents happening, cyber incidents, for example, where do they do business in terms of their supply chains, where are their key suppliers? And that's a case where using the information sharing partnerships we've established at at CISA and working with industries through the critical partnership is really important that that kind of information is flowing regularly because there are things on network, there are things on suppliers that we'll never see that without industry sharing that information with us. You know, that's why, you know, among other things, we think some level of incident reporting for cybersecurity is an important element because, you know, we have to establish the mechanisms to regularly share that information. So understanding how infrastructure is operating, I think we get better visibility without additional authorities, understanding the things that are putting that infrastructure at risk. We need a little more help from information sharing with our private sector partners.
1: Okay, so we've had some good examples of where this framework has already come into play. What's next for the framework here as we enter 2022?
0: We will continue to build out our work on functional decomposition, which we talked a little bit about, we're engaged with some of our national laboratory partners and industry to better break down and understand the critical functions. We are internally working to build better technical models for visualizing how those functions work that can be used systematically to better understand risk. And then we're doing a lot of work on prioritization around critical functions based on our understanding of that and starting to direct our efforts around the critical functions that we think are need the most collective action to address risk. That's when it then translates to sort of SIS's strategy. You're going to see us doing more work, I think, probably around water security in 2022. You're going to see us continue to build off some of the work we did, working with the healthcare system, of course, our election security work, which are areas where we see priority gaps or opportunities to strengthen the health of functions across a range of risks. Bob Kulaski, director of the National Risk Management Center, speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.
1: When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on and you'll be rewarded up to $1000 your first month. Learn more at Grifflesplasma.com.
0: Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com/podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.